Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders lead leaders. I am your host, Birgit Camps, and the CEOs I invite on the show are both high performers and humble enough to share their leadership blind spots. So today's guest is Jan Camps. He is the CEO of Erasmus Interconsultancy. Having said that, you've also been a CEO of various other companies and really are known as the turnaround guy. And um, it's been in pharmaceutical industry, it's been in the car de dealerships, it's hospital supplies, hotels, infant nutrition. It's, it's almost hard to say what you haven't been a turnaround guy in. <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad, glad that today you're choosing to help other companies experience success uh, in turnarounds by you consulting with them. So I'm going to brag about you a little bit, um, but then I'm going to turn it over to you because, you know, I could spend 10 hours telling about all your achievements. <laughs> but I think what some of the keys that um, our listeners, you know, might be interested in is the fact that a lot of people don't experience success until like their later part of their career. And you started with success pretty much very early on, including, you know, you're Dutch and the government chose select few people out of 6,400 applicants as Fulbright scholars to study in the U.S., and you were one of them. Then uh, as a Marine, you were also one of the top. And um, finally, you started your career, and in the pharmaceutical industry, you were chosen to head up a uh, company in Mexico, and that's not an easy market, and they were at the time number 28, and within you know several years, um, you hit a record of making them number one in the country. And that was by the age of 29. <laughs> and so then you continued on. You also turned around a failing Porsche Audi dealership, made that one of the top performers and expanded from Houston into California. And um, you know, you received one of the top 10 awards for not just sales results in the car dealerships, but also customer satisfaction. So one of the things that I've learned a lot from you about and then I appreciate about you is you showed me it's possible to make money and treat people well. And that is to me one of your greatest achievements. But anyway, I, I'll, I'll say some more about your other achievements as we talk in this podcast, but the bottom line is, you know, when people listen to this, they may think, wow, someone like you, you're so smart. You were so successful from the beginning. Do you even have a leadership blind spot? Have you ever struggled with anything? So I'm going to turn it over to you and you let us know. I, I sure uh, have some blind spots and it took me a long time to discover those. Uh, I always work for privately owned companies, large and medium sized not by choice, but that's the way it happened. Even the first pharmaceutical company that you mentioned, Birgit Bergen-Ingelheim, was and still is one of the largest privately owned firms in the world, as a matter of fact. Anyway, my blind spots during a couple of times that I now realize were that I looked at the business first. I looked at the business and uh, saw the opportunities of turning it around. And then I looked at the people that were working at the business. Mm -hmm. And I very often did not pay enough attention to the personalities and the likes and dislikes of the owners of the company. 
in a publicly owned company, you could probably change that, but ownership of a privately owned company, you don't change. Mm -hmm. And I should have really started there and then see what the opportunities within this limitation was to really do the turnaround job. And the result of that was that quite often, at least two or three times in my career, I came to the point where I was in conflict of interest uh, with the owners mm. because I thought I had a much better idea of running the business and turning around, which I did, and the results were there. Yeah. So I thought, well... As long as I succeed uh, with uh, their company, they should be happy. Exactly. <laughs> Not so. Not so. There was one uh, very uh, drastic example of my blind spot when I did a turnaround uh, job of a major uh, car dealership organization in the northern part of the United States. Uh, they had Honda, they had Toyota, they had Porsche Audi, they had Infiniti, they had Acura, they had BMW, they had Jaguar. Mm. So it was a $100 million business and the owner ran it like a, yeah, like it was a hobby gave away a lot of money and almost had to sell the company. And then he asked me, I knew him personally, he asked me to come and take a look. Because he was failing. He was, not he was failing, money. yeah. He was at the point of having to sell the company mm. to a British group. And so I looked at the company and I analyzed it. And, and then I said, well, you know, what would you do if I turned this thing around and you would not have to sell it? And he said to me, anything. And I said, well, then I'll tell you what take a six month vacation and then come back and I have turned your company around. Well, well that of course was not the right thing to do. <laughs> and so when he came back and company in good shape, then of course he took over the reins again. And, and that was the end of basically of my involvement in the company. He tried to keep me by giving me one dealership, but I decided that I didn't want to do that. Yeah, so he, so you basically told him you know, I, here you go, I turned your company around for you, but you you didn't realize you had offended him by basically saying, get out of here, I don't want exactly. to see you until I get this thing turned around. And then he came back and said, thanks, and now now, now I don't want to see you, basically. Exactly. <laughs> so, ouch, yeah. And I did the same, I made the same mistake in, in Brazil when I uh, really turned around a, a, a very large hospital supply company German-owned, basically, also privately owned again. And uh, when they asked me to do the turnaround job, I knew that I did not like the owner. I had met him before in a different capacity. Uh, but I thought that I could deal directly with the di industrial director, whom I really liked. And I said to the industrial director, okay, I'll do this job for you, but if the other guy gets involved, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, was not really you know, a smart thing to do. But exactly that's what happened after three years. And uh, he got involved and uh, I got on my high horse and, uh, and quit. Mm. Uh, although I had a really good opportunity to afterwards become their total American, including North American uh, vice president. So uh, my feelings sometimes uh, and probably my failure to understand that not all people think alike, mm. uh, often cause me to, uh, to quit and to, to do something else. It's a little bit like John Wayne, you know, you can buy my services, but you can't buy me. 
Hmm. <laughs> yes. And in reality, what I should have done is analyze the leaders or the owners of the company first. first, and then take that into account and then set up my plan to to turn the company around. It would have been, probably just worked just as well. Yeah. So that's, uh, that is really a, a major issue, I think, that people who are very good operating uh, executives need to take into account. Mm. Yeah, so if you, if you have an investor or if you have a partner or if you have an owner that, that's the, you know, that has the control, if you will, yes. then you need to first make sure that you're aligned with them exactly. before you turn things around or, or you know, get results. <laughs> exactly. So my attitude when I was younger was really, you know, um, get out of my way and I'll do it for you. Right. All, all that should matter is results. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and then you added to it. You kind of gave this hint. Then you add to it that you had you were quite emotional about that. You know, hey, if I do you a good job, you should support me, or else I'm out of here. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so the emotions kind of got in the way too. Although I I don't know if you. So would you do that differently today too, or would you just not even? Would that not be an issue because you wouldn't start with someone? Like right now you have your own consulting. You work with whoever you choose to work with. How does that play in now that you do look and see who you choose to work with? Yes, that is, but that is, it's actually the situation hasn't changed a lot. I think I have changed. Mm. Uh, yes, I do have my own consulting company, but I still work with privately owned companies like or very closely held companies. Uh, companies like a, a major uh, Swiss uh, infant nutrition manufacturer with serious challenges in their leadership uh, attitudes and their leadership things. But I still work with them and help a major distributor to become successful, build a plan for them as a matter of fact. Although at that time uh, I was not at all impressed by the leadership of the company. In my early days I would have told them you know, you take a hike. Yeah. Now I, I'm working with the tools that I have mm. and work around it and make sure that I know what's going on and fish in front of the net instead of afterwards saying, well, it didn't work out, bye. And, and why would you do that? Is that because you believe in the, the vision they have, the product they have? Why do you stick with them? Yeah, I believe in the, in the product and in the vision and especially the vision that I had for them. Mm. Uh, I would, I thought when I, I met these infant nutrition people in Switzerland and I had done a job for a major Dutch infant nutrition company also and put them into the Mexican market, which became a huge success. I did it through a, a friendly pharmaceutical company that I knew. They had never thought about infant nutrition, although they had a lot of uh, product for the pediatricians. Uh, we put them in there and they became, within four or five years, it became a 30 million ex-Holland business. The, I got to know the uh, Swiss people and I saw the opportunity and I saw the possibility of really internationally developing a business for a Swiss-made infant nutrition company. There's very few in the world that can say that. And I still do. Okay, so, so in this case, 
it's really your vision and what's possible that, that had you adjust your attitude towards whether you think the leaders are, you know, the way you wish they would be. And your emotions about it uh, are different now. Like you said, you changed. Circumstances, you know, didn't change. Every leader has some issues, but you changed, and you're you're definitely focused on what's possible, the bigger vision. Yes. So I think that that's so. Earlier, you said first look at the leader, then the strategy. Sounds to me like first look at the vision, then the leaders and the strategy. Correct. Would you say that's true? Yes, that that is true. So if you uh, if you have a clear picture of the vision of the opportunity, then look at the leaders, and then develop the business strategy. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a much better way to do than than jumping in head for uh, feet first and uh, and and then uh, and then afterwards deal with the consequences of having really not uh, being uh, aware of the importance. Of how to deal with the with top people, <laughs> with the top people. Yeah. So, yeah. so perfect. You've just transitioned us to to the next big question. You know what? Every company, I mean, has people. <laughs> so, what what has surprised you the most? What's been the most challenging or, or fun for you regarding people? <laughs> yeah. Well, that is, and then especially now analyzing a little bit the different experiences I had in my professional career. Uh, I am really surprised to see how little attention top management was really paying to the importance of their people, especially of the leaders, of the leadership teams. Um, they always talked about the business, mm -hmm. about the products, about the markets, about the opportunities, but almost never, especially when I got involved as a turnaround guy, almost never mentioned to me first the importance of their people or mm. where they saw challenges. Mm -hmm. It came like a sideline. A PS. Yes. Wow. And it, it it's almost par for the course, even for the Swiss company that I'm now dealing with. They are very, very bad at, at management of people. Mm -hmm. They totally manage by the figures. Mm -hmm. And the result, and they're trying to save themselves to profitability and doing all things the wrong way. And with the result is that, um, that, that some of their top four or five people left the company, mm. which is a huge damage. Yeah, the cost to, of that, the cost they usually of that don't is, calculate, do yeah, they? Exactly. Until it's too late. Yeah. The, uh, the CEO of their, uh, of their infant nutrition business just left them. And to replace that guy, it's gonna cost them half a million bucks to get him to get anyone if they can find him. Yeah. Back in the saddle. Yeah. So that's that's interesting because, as you know, I I had a staffing firm and I got to see that all the time, how little attention was paid to investing in leaders and developing leaders, which is also what inspired me to start this podcast because there's very little mentorship even going on. But the fact that you say that companies in general focus on how to turn around the product, the service, but not really focused on people, I think, uh, you know, it seems like in, in 30 years ago, it was the same as it is today. Yes. Um, yes. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what'll, what'll change that tide, so to speak. Well, there is a change. Uh, I noticed the other day, uh, and I'm trying to stay, uh, you know, 
well informed about what's happening in the in the business world and generally. Uh, but a major U.S. chemical company uh, now in their vision and, and in their in their corporate statement say, we first take care of our people mm. and then of our clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason, of course, it sounds a little harsh, but the reason, of course, if they take care of their people, that means of their organization, if everybody is aligned, then automatically that will give a better service to their clients. Absolutely, which is probably what was your success in yep. turning around. I know it was from the Porsche Audi dealership time, and uh, you know you were even um, you were surprised, but you were elected to be the chairman of the uh, National Automobile Dealers Association because they took notice how quickly because yeah. car dealerships have so many problems with people, and you turned it. You know, you were one of the most successful ones. Yeah, but it was for the Porsche Audi group. Yes, for the Porsche okay. Audi groups. And yes, we were an association, part of the total National Dealers Association, but for that so-called Porsche Audi 20 group, which was the 20 top dealers of the nation of Porsche Audi. Yeah. I came and took over a, a company that really was basic, almost bankrupt. But again, because of incapable leadership. Yeah. And when I applied my experience that I had by that time already uh, to the automotive retail business, and of course I knew the people that helped also from Porsche in Germany very well, the top guys, and I also knew the Volkswagen people. So I had a pretty good idea what could be done and actually became uh, like a, a test dealership for them here in, in, in the United States. But the thing was that looking at the company itself and applying the same things that had worked for me for other companies, which was basically first looking at the people and trying to build a team of, of, of capable people that eventually led to a very quick success in the company, both in sales and in customer satisfaction. And that apparently caught the attention of the other dealers, and then they elected me as chairman of the group. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I happen to also know that, you know, you, don't, you walk your talk because you say people matter to you, and you see the importance of involving people and, and the leadership, but in the, in this Porsche Auto dealership, you also spent money to put uh, air conditioning in the service shop, yeah. which wasn't there before. No, that was, that was, uh, it was an innovative approach, uh, and I had done the same thing in Brazil, where in the hospital supply business, we had a, a major tool and die manufacturing uh, for our one for our blo uh, in, for our injection machines, and in Brazil, that was just a big shop, mm -hmm. twenty people, twenty pretty capable guys. But I saw that in the afternoon they were losing productivity and quality, mm -hmm. so I put in an air conditioning system there against the will of the owners, mm -hmm. uh, I got a turnaround within half a year. Hmm. Uh, and of course the quality went up. So in Houston, where the Porsche Audi dealership was located, and, and everybody knows what the temperature here is in the summer. <laughs> uh, and in the Porsches especially were highly complicated vehicles at that time, uh, especially electronic, electrically, not electronically, electrically, uh, and my capacity 
of the technicians that we had. We had six very specialized Porsche technicians and their capacity dropped substantially in the afternoon. It was very easy to trace. So we put in a air conditioning system, uh, upgraded their service stalls, as we call them, where, the, where each technician worked on their, on their cars, decorated it. We had a Porsche decoration. We had, then we did the same thing with the Audi side where we had 11 technicians. The result is that that whole service uh, app, uh, division of the company now became almost like a technical showroom. Mm -hmm. And we use it also to take our customers in there and show them what we do, did to their cars. Yeah, so you got everybody involved on the people side. <laughs> we got everybody involved on the people side. Yeah, very good. And that, and then not only that, we, we also uh, gave a, a Porsche Club of America membership to everybody that bought a Porsche from us, both used and, and, uh, and new. And we were for a while the biggest uh, contributors to membership from the Porsche Club of America during the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's just a little story, but yeah. yes. Well, I, uh, you know, I think it's clear regarding the importance that if you want to turn around any company, you have to look at the leadership, Absolutely. not just the strategy. And, you know, and with me, um, uh, so your last name is the same as mine. You happen to also, I happen to be lucky that you're my dad. And <laughs> when I had my staffing firm, um, you know, I'd, I already knew the importance of treating our internal customers as number one, which is why we made it to Inc. 500 fastest growing companies, best places to work in Texas. However, it's, it's the entire picture that matters in a company. So whereas I was very gifted on the people side where, uh, you know, you looked at all pieces of the puzzle and you said, hey, you need to get a line of credit. You need to get, you know, a bank. And at the time I was like, I don't need a bank. I've got cash. We've got, you know, reserves. And boy, then later on when one of the larger energy companies um, had lots of our contractors and didn't pay on time, that, that could have really damaged us had I not had the line of credit. So you have this ability to to, you know, obviously you turn around companies because you see all aspects of yes. things. So yeah. I was lucky enough to have you as a mentor. Not everybody these days, you know, has that privilege and, and a lot of leadership programs have been cut anyway. So um, I appreciate you being on the show today. And in a way, you know, you sharing your stories is helps a lot of leaders. Is there any last piece of advice that you have or something that you recommend you know leaders look at before we wrap up yes uh, i think it's very important for leaders to be very aware of what's happening uh, in the larger surroundings where they work for an example for operating people in the united states is to know what's going on politically economically in the country and always be aware of that and today even in the global economy the reason for that is so that you are not surprised people usually get very upset if something happens which they didn't foresee or which they were surprised mm. i am never surprised mm. that's one thing and and so i would say maybe another put it another way is fishing in front of the net know what you're looking at know what your challenge are going to be and then adjust accordingly quick enough. 
That's a very important point because what I've noticed over the years of speaking with many leaders myself is they used to, leaders primarily, their role was thinking about things, innovating. Uh, and now everybody's so busy, they hardly take time to look and see what's going on globally, nationally, what, you know, what threats and opportunities are out there. They're mostly reacting all day long. Um, I also see that now when it comes to people. It seems like a lot of leaders are playing what I call the higher fire game. How, you know, any advice you have as we wrap up on, you know, uh, so externally they have to think about what's going on externally, but what about internally? Internally, I think, uh, and the problem, as you say, of hiring, firing is very often caused by uh, people just looking at the business and not looking at their uh, their main uh, asset, which is there should be at least their, their top uh, leaders that they have in, in the company. So uh, when you look at an operation, first get together, get aligned together, co-create, if you will, you've used that word. Yes. Uh, so instead of, uh, of judging the people from the head on down, sit together with them, create your own, your, your results or your uh, desired results together, and then execute. And then review it together with them, not as a schoolmaster to a, a, to a, a pupil, but really as a, as a, as a partner together. Have, you, have we done together what we were supposed to be doing? What could I do to help you get better? Those are the things that, that will motivate people more than anything else. Yeah, and I think you just described the true definition of what it is to be a team, <laughs> right? <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you. You've, you've been on my show before, and uh, you've been gracious enough to come back again. Uh, last year, I was still dealing with a lot of technical issues. <laughs> uh, I, I'm still dealing with them, but getting much better. And, um, you know, I'm glad to that you're still in business. You certainly don't have to, but you're helping now other companies succeed. So if someone wants to reach you, um, what's the best way to connect with you? Best way to connect to me is, is contact you because they probably want to hear more about the blind spots anyway, and, and you can pass them on to me. Very good. So you guys have heard, um, I'm your your gateway <laughs> to, to Jan Kamps, uh, the turnaround expert and mentor to many. And um, if you want to have a copy of the 10 most common leadership blind spots, reach out to me at ceoblindspots at gmail.com or go to my website, ceoblindspots.com. And um, lastly, you're certainly welcome to schedule a call with me, 713-822-7411. And I know I'm speaking quickly, but it'll all be in the link included in this podcast. So with that, Dad, I know you speak five plus languages and, and I speak a few. So would you like to wrap up the show and say goodbye in, in several of the languages that you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can do that. Tot ziens und auf Wiedersehen. Y entonces hasta la vista, ya te logo. Okay, so with all that said, thank you for listening, and goodbye.